Hey there, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Samira Stalks. This is a podcast about the dreamers out there and their stories of entrepreneurship. So if you're curious, creative, and you're ready to make an impact on this world, then this is for you. Welcome to episode 10 with me, your host, Samira Sohail. We're in double digits. So I get a lot of questions about how I find and get some of my guests on the show. And despite all the social media networks out there, I actually use good old fashioned email. So please do sign up to my mailing list on samirastalks.com or email me on samira at samirastalks.com and I'll happily send you a copy of them as well as my learnings from what's worked and more entertaining of what's not. So you can reach out to who you're intrigued by. In today's episode, I've uncovered Shil Mahnot for you. He's a serial entrepreneur who's on a mission to bring finance to the rest of us. With the adoption of smartphones and the fact that over 30% of people in the US are unbanked, not to mention the billions in the developing world, he's launched and successfully exited fintech startups with an underlying theme of price transparency. And he's now an angel investor in the thick of it in Silicon Valley. In today's episode, we'll hear about how he spotted a business opportunity, a high-stakes, high-return auction process when tech giants Amazon, Google and others went head-to-head in a battle for internet domain names. That is, instead of .com, .shop, .blog, .news and more were up for sale. How he's used his experiences in microfinance in Asia to uncover startups disrupting the fintech industry and how the stodgy insurance industry is up next for a shake-up, given the rise and use of big data. Lastly, as a partner at the 500 Startups Accelerator Programme, we'll hear his four T's he looks for before parting with his investment in the hope of the next billion-dollar company. And let me just remind listeners that Microsoft bid for LinkedIn at over $26 billion this week. So Shil is a superhuman by the looks of your profile. You've had two startup exits and you're also an angel investor at the intersection of financial and technology. Your partner at 500 Startups, a seed stage accelerator, but more than whizzing around San Francisco, you like vegetarian food, have your own investing podcast called The Pitch, and in your own words, enjoy late afternoon naps. So welcome to the show, Shil. You truly are a stalker. How did, like, I don't even know where you found all that information. <laughs> Good to know what you're dealing with. Yeah. Thanks for being with us today. Absolutely. Firstly, I should ask, though, then, is there anything I've missed in that? No, I think you got everything. Okay. I don't know. You, yeah, even that I love afternoon naps. Well, I always like to start with my guests' upbringing. So there's some belts of social enterprise. You've spent a year in India with IndyCorp and a selection of what I call consultancy or biz dev type roles. But just give yeah. us a bit of backstory. Sure. So um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, lovely place. Um, and then I went to college in Pittsburgh as well at Carnegie Mellon. I changed my major three or four times, um, <laughs> but I ended up graduating a year early, actually. And I worked in... Uh, worked in IT, I guess, for a while. I made software for hospitals for a few years. Then I wanted to move into management consultancy, so I did that. And then I wanted to give it all up. I think I saw I saw a movie, uh, Rang de Basanti. Some of you may have seen. What's that? Thought, Rang de Basanti, it's a movie, Amir Khan movie. And I thought, 
it's so partially inspired me to apply for IndyCore and like so so called give a year back in time and volunteer in India. So I um, applied to a program called IndyCore and applied specifically with um, Kiva.org, which is a nonprofit that lets individuals uh, in the developed world uh, give a loan to an individual in the developing world um, for the sake of poverty alleviation. It's really cool. They've done nearly a billion dollars of loans uh, at 0% interest. So check it out, KIVA.org. It's actually kind of like angel investing in a sense yeah. like you're but, you're it's a loan it's different and you're not getting a return but um you're choosing companies you're choosing entrepreneurs to to invest in i also think of kiva as my first foray into fintech and um because it is fintech it's peer-to-peer microfinance um anyway so after that i came back to the states went to business school i was at bcg um serving financial institutions primarily um, through the crisis and afterwards. Um, and then uh, a buddy of mine from BCG was leaving to start a company called Fee Fighters and asked me to join him, uh, which was a reverse auction for payments. And um, ran that company for a couple of years and we got acquired by Groupon. And at Groupon, we ran a payments division, left there after a couple of years and started another company called Innovative Auctions. Great. I want to pause there just for a second, because I want to tell listeners a bit of backstory about um, about the internet, really. So there's what I call Great. a global internet body that decided to put the right side of the dot up for sale. That is, like, instead of .com, companies could go and pitch and buy, say, .edu for education, .free, .news, .books, .porn, I imagine, would have been a popular one. Um and as you would imagine, brands also bought their own names like .apple or .bbc, but they also put in bids for more generic ones. So your auction company was something that was involved uh, in this. And you had to go around and convince the names, like big names like Microsoft, Amazon, Google, tech companies, media companies, anyone and everyone to participate in your auction scheme. Yeah, that's right. Wow, that's cool that you did the research to learn all about this. The global internet body is called ICANN, the Internet Corporation for Assigning Names and Numbers. It used to be part of the U.S. Department of Commerce, and then it became it spun out as a nonprofit independent uh, because other world government leaders were like, what the F? Like, the internet can't be controlled by America. It, although it largely still is, um, it's it's slowly, slowly breaking away. Um and yeah, you totally nailed what the business is and what it does. But let me explain a little more. Let's say let's say that you and I both and some and, and party party C all applied for dot club. We had to pay one hundred eighty five thousand US dollars back in twenty twelve, and um, to, up, to apply, apply to okay. apply. And if you if you were the only party that applied for club, you got it. You paid your one hundred eighty five k plus 25K per year, plus a few other things, and then it was yours. Club was yours. But because in this case, Samira, Shiel, and Party C all applied for .club, ICANN said, you guys figured out amongst yourselves who's going to get it. So It wasn't even the highest price. No, they just said, figure it out amongst yourselves. Okay. And they said, if you can't figure it out, at some later date, 
ICANN will hold an auction okay. and ICANN will get all the money. So me and my friends saw this and thought, hey, maybe there's an opportunity to solve this for people. So we went to the meeting and um, met with some companies and said, how are you going to solve this? And they said, oh, we're going to get a room and talk it out. We were like, hey, that doesn't make any sense. Like, do you think you're a better negotiator than them? And they're like, yeah. Do you think they think that they're a better negotiator than you? They're like, yeah. So we're like, okay, <laughs> this is, doesn't make much sense. Um, so we thought, okay, we, why don't we create a fair and transparent auction? And so that's what we did. And um, the way the auction works is um, it's a, I'll, I'll just go through and explain it, I guess. It's a second price ascending clock auction. Where the sellers get paid. Now I'll break apart those words. So it's a second price auction, meaning you don't pay what you bid if you're the winner. You pay the second price, and like what the next person bids. And it's an ascending clock auction, so the price goes up every X amount of time. In in this scenario with the three party auction, we'd start at six hundred thousand, and every twenty minutes of auction, the price increases by six hundred thousand. What are the benefits of doing it that way? Sure. So. Um, Okay, so a second price auction means you can feel comfortable bidding as much as you want because you know you're not going to pay what you bid. You're going to pay the second price. So nobody has to guess what you were going to bid. And then the ascending clock um, means that you, you sort of get more information as time goes along. Like you learn when people have fallen out and so on. So it's better than just a one single sealed bid auction, which is the other type you could do. Um, and then the important thing though, the important distinction is the sellers get paid. So let's lay out a scenario here. Let's say that Samira, you were willing to pay $9 million for dot club. I was willing to pay, I don't know, a million dollars. I'm a cheapskate and party C was willing to pay $6 million. So in this case you would win, but you would pay the second price. So I would have dropped out at a million party C dropped out at 6 million and that's when the auction's over and so you pay 6 million dollars I see and then the really important thing though is that 6 million dollars gets split evenly between myself and party C so we each get a few million bucks out of it well surely then wasn't there some joke party that decided to participate in like all the auctions yeah you would think so <laughs> yeah but the, but remember that they had to decide to participate years before the auctions actually took place Okay. And yeah. it was a closed process. And when they when they put in the application, they had no idea how it would get solved or like the fact that they could possibly make money through this. So Okay. And so so you went around to companies and you said, This is our auction, this is our method. Sign up to it. Yeah, and it honestly, it took forever. Like it was a long, complicated process. Like we had to befriend people, we had to um we had to change our auction style to meet different parties' needs. Um, but ultimately, you know, as you say, we got almost everyone to participate, including a lot of large public companies. Some of the biggest companies in the world participated in our auctions. And that was pretty cool. Firstly, what, what did the highest bid go to? What name? So it's, it's actually... It's um, a closed auction as well. It's confidential. <laughs> but what I can say, there were two that, that were public, um, and I can talk about how much those went for dot shop was public and it was between amazon and another company called gmo out of japan and they basically both said like we're willing to pay anything for this thing <laughs> and 
ended up at $41 million. So it turns out Amazon wasn't willing to pay just anything for it because it went for $41 million. GMO. Okay. And then there was dot app um, and it went to Google for nearly $25 million. And how did you guys get a cut of, uh, did you get like a participation fee in the auction or did you get a cut of what was? So we, we take, we take a percentage. Great. Winning. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Okay. It was, a good, it was a great business. And now you've exited or you're involved or? Uh, largely not involved um, because the, the auction was a limited sort of chunk of time because there were only 200 of these names in contention. And we settled almost all of them. So okay. we still have we still have a couple of stragglers, but mostly done. Okay, great. So your LinkedIn says that you're interested in finance for the rest of us. Um, financial innovation that helps those who don't prefer the current banking system, aka everyone but old white men. Which is quite yeah. a, <laughs> quite a bold statement. But can you talk a little bit about why you think what you think's wrong with the current system? And then some of the recent developments within the fintech industry that you're most excited about. Sure. So just um, what's wrong with the system is like, especially, I think it's a little bit, it's definitely a little bit better in the UK, but in the States, um, the banks have not been very innovative and there's just all sorts of things. Like if you want to transfer money to another person, it's like you write a check and sign it and it's just like crazy, right? Um, So the banking system has not been innovative and then that coupled with the global financial crisis um, and a huge segment of the population just doesn't trust banks. Okay. Millennials are like banking less than they were five years ago, crazy enough. Um, so there's just a lot of people who just don't trust or prefer the, the current financial institutions. And if you ask millennials, um, what are the brands that you like? Rank them one to a hundred. There are four big banks in the States and all four of them rank in the bottom 10 out of 100. Wow. Wow. Okay. So people just don't like banks. And then and then they've totally failed to serve a segment of the population. Like there are there is a segment of the population that has bad credit yeah. and like can be served effectively, but they're just not trying. And then a lot of this sort of stems from my my work at Kiva. Like I was living in India and um you know, I would ride a bus and then ride on the back of somebody's motorcycle to serve one customer mm. and give one customer a loan. And now with the smartphone, you can do that effectively, like without, obviously without riding on the back of a motorcycle. Um, you can do it all on the phone. And that's, that's really important because only right now, about two and a half billion people have smartphones. And in four or five years, that's going to be five billion people. So like, only half the number of people who who will have smartphones in five years have smartphones now, and that basically that entire segment is unbanked. So, like, this is a massive, massive opportunity over the next ten years. Okay, and so as so that you've talked about the adoption of smartphones, um, what are other some of the other the other things that you're excited about? Sure, there's like peer to peer is very interesting, and in that you know now. You don't necessarily have to get your money from a financial institution. Yeah. You can go peer to peer, the same as true with money transfer. Um, and even in insurance, there's peer to peer startups starting to happen, which is pretty cool. Um, I, I'm actually very excited about insurance, strangely enough, given that it's like a stodgy industry. I think um, a lot of changing changes that are happening will have impact every form of insurance. So, for example, just think about auto insurance. 
And what does auto insurance look like in a world where we have driverless cars? Yeah. It's obviously totally different. And in a world where we may, we may not even own cars. So then what does insurance look like? It'll be totally different. Um, and then um, home insurance, um, I think that there's the opportunity to use Internet of Things devices. Like the biggest problem, the biggest claims for home insurance is flooding okay. and then like sort of uh, fire and theft. And all of those things you can now monitor better than you yeah. could before. But that's true of all of insurance, like the data now, whether it's for health, you use your Fitbit tracker, like exactly, the way data exactly. can disrupt that industry. So, yeah, they're using these crazy actuarial tables that haven't changed. And yet we have more data. So, like, why do we need to use why do we need to use all these things like, OK, your X number of years old grew yeah. up here and this like to form a picture of somebody like Samira when like we actually know Samira, <laughs> like, yeah. so that's, that's the cool thing in insurance that now is the time to change. Cool. And so you're a partner, uh, at 500 startups and you say you have 30 plus deals, uh, as an angel investor. So a lot of people are starting to think about investing at the side, whether that's Traditionally, that was a second property to rent out, stocks and shares, passive income strategies. But how did you get into angel investing? What type of mentality do you, do you need? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I do all of the above. I do have properties. I do have um, stocks and shares. And then angel investing, uh, so uh, it's, it's a risky endeavor, right? So, like, we, I believe in portfolio theory, which is why I did so many deals. And it was, you know... Not necessarily a huge amount of money in each deal, but um, the idea is that every one individual deal that you do is irrational and very risky. But if you look at them combined, it actually makes a lot of sense. Like if you only invest in one company, like odds are you're going to lose all of your money, and like yeah. one out of one out of twenty times you'll make like a good amount of money. Um, but if you invest in 20, then you've obviously de-risked significantly. So that's the idea with portfolio theory. Um, and sort of my thinking was you invest where you have like a knowledge gap. You have more information than the average person. And you think, you think you're better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Not a gap. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know anything about it. Although maybe that could be said for like everything I've ever done in life. Um, <laughs> everything most people have ever done in life. Yeah. So like. For whatever reason, I thought I knew more about certain topics than others, so chose to invest. And then whether or not that's true, who knows. But now I've actually doubled down into fintech specifically, technology, which is not actually one topic, but rather probably six or seven different topics. And um, you know, now I'm deep into that subject, so I, I know more and I have more information about what other companies are doing. So there is a bit of uh, knowledge advantage that I have now. Which of your like which of your companies are you most excited about at the moment? It's really hard to pick, right? It's like who's your favorite child? Everyone has and, one though. Everyone has one. Nah, I don't know. I, I, I would say so. Okay, so uh, what I do is um, I run an accelerator program. Okay. At five hundred, and um, so in this last batch, we had ten companies, ten fintech companies, across a few different categories. And uh, they work in my office very closely with me for four months. So you can imagine that like I'm fond of literally all of them. 
Describe what one of them's doing. Sure. So one of them, cool enough, um, if you're listening in the States, if you open up your app store right now, right now as in when we're recording this, um, it's the number one like new new app. Um, it's called Albert. It's a financial services app that manages your money and accounts and lets you take action within the app. So there used to be, there is an app in the States called Mint. Yeah, um, the budgeting one. Budgeting app. Yeah, it was acquired many years ago by Intuit and sort of hasn't changed that much. And they give you recommendations, but they're not that useful. And it's not like mobile first. Um, so these guys do it all mobile first and give you like super useful recommendations and let you take action within the app. So for example, if you have credit card debt, let's say you're paying 16% of your credit card, it'll notice that and say, hey, like I went out and got you a loan for 6%, Yeah. click here. And then the nice thing is you don't have to leave the app. You can actually do all the actions within the app. So it's pretty cool. The app is called Albert. Okay, so it's complete kind of end-to-end recommendations linked with your bank accounts and also does the switching for you to the new product. Cool. Okay. So as you mentioned, you are part of the 500 Startups Accelerator, which means you probably have ideas flown across your desk or people pitching to you in elevators constantly. Yeah, uh, true. What are the ones that kind of you separate between hell yeah, take my money to those that you're, you just bat away frustrated kind of what do businesses need to have demonstrated before you or the fund part with the dollars? Yeah, sure. So there are, it's called the four T's. Oh, come on then. Yeah. Startup school. (laughs) Startup school. And this is like, this isn't necessarily what everyone uses or something, but this is how I think about it at least. Okay. Um, not that it's proprietary or anything. Um, the four T's are team. So obviously, like you want a strong team. And what does that what does that even mean? Well, a strong team is a team with sort of experience in the in the sector that they're going into. Very smart people who can learn quickly. These guys work with me closely in my office for four months. Like I want to like them. I want to be their friend. Yeah. So I'm not going to choose anyone that I don't like. Like that I wouldn't Period. be friends with. Yeah, Done. fair enough. If you're annoying, like you're out. Um, so team is one. Um, traction is another. And traction means different things to different in different segments. So like in fintech, you know, it takes a while to get started because there are like regulatory issues or whatever. So um, traction could just mean having having solved some of the regulatory issues. Okay. Um, there's uh, technology. So like, do you have a technology advantage? And do you have good tech? And yeah. then the final one, very important, is it's a bit of a cheat in that it's total addressable market. No, come on. That's not a cheat. Yeah. <laughs> that's a cheat, total addressable market. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and very important, like, if you have the best technology in the world used to book um, – I'm trying to think of something obscure, obscure used to rent lamps in Atlanta, like, and you're the best team ever. Like, I'm still not going to invest because that business is not going anywhere. You got to have a big market and like a big market can solve for lots of other problems. What would you say your reckless dream is for bringing finance to the rest of us? You know, I, I just envision a world that's more encompassing, like, and brings 
technology and finance to people. So, so there's a, a huge segment of the population that's unbanked and underbanked. And what percentage of the population are we talking about here? I don't know. You put me on the spot. I don't okay. know the At least in the US. Uh, it's like 30, 40%, something okay. in that range. So huge. Huge, just in the US. And then if you think about in Asia, country, yeah. in Asia, there's like nearly, I think it's over a billion and a half people are unbanked. So massive numbers of people are unbanked. Um, and these people, like when they need money, they go to, like they go give an object and get a very high interest loan. Like traditionally, yeah. like the, the traditional like loan shark business was like, you go like put your shoes down for to rent, to borrow a rupee. And then you come back in the evening and pay a rupee and a half to get your shoes back. Like crazy, you know, like, um, so a world where like we can serve everybody effectively using the phone and money is transferred, um, you know, instantly and cheaply. Can you talk to us about a time where you've taken a wrong turn? So your kind of biggest mistake or when you've been at rock bottom and in general, what your approach to failure is. It's a really tough one for me because I've never taken any wrong turns in my life. I've basically have at every path chosen the right one. <laughs> we haven't lived then. I haven't lived. No, uh, <laughs> it's a good question. Okay. Uh, the reality is that like, you know, many, many, many of my steps were the wrong ones, but like, this is, I don't know, maybe cringe, but like, you know, looking back at them, like they all made me who I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't like interviewing Americans. <laughs> no, take me to a specific moment at a specific time in your, one of your companies. I had a really hard time deciding to sell fee fighters to Groupon and I sort of fought with fought with the other guys over it and you know we'll never know what would have happened and that's sort of like a sore spot for me is like I I didn't want to sell the company we were in different life places and all sorts of other reasons why why they did but that's um that's one that like still I, I think through like, man, what would have happened if we kept at it instead of selling? And it, it wasn't like, by all means, it was a, it was a great option. Selling was a great option, but like I wanted to keep at it. So. Okay, cool. Um, thank you for your honesty. Um, would it change the way you do things? How's it changed the way you think about sales now? I think like for my companies, I encourage them to think about it more clearly. And I think I can give useful advice um, having gone through it myself and it, it's, it's more, it's more personal. It's more psychology than it is, um, business advice. Yeah. Fair enough. So this is Samira Storks after all, which means that I have to ask you, can you tell us a funny fail story from the past or someone that you're stalking now and how that, how, how that went or how that's going? I'm stalking everyone. I'm I'm a ruthless stalker. Maybe maybe not at the same level as you apparently. But okay. like whenever I meet anybody, I like like I'll like be sitting at the table and like secretly look at my phone and like search them and like look at all their history and see who who which friends we know in common. So I, I love stalking. Um like 
I'm an information addict, I guess, is like a better way to put it. Like I just love getting information and knowing knowing as much as I can possibly know about something before going into it. What is one of your best kind of what I call cold email or cold hustles? Ooh, good question. Cold hustles. I'm not that good at a cold hustling, actually. Oh, you work through like the network. Yeah, I work through the network. You've got to put yourself out there. <laughs> I know I should, but I should, you know, I actually sort of cringe when I think about cold emails. I got one yesterday. It was kind of funny. Um, I got a phone call out of the blue and I happened to be walking. And I picked it up and, um, the guy was like, Hey, this is so-and-so from Harvard university who I worked at Harvard management systems. And I'm, uh, I've got a team of Harvard educated managers looking to invest your money. And I was, I was like, you said, you said Harvard three times (laughs) in a cold phone call, I guess whatever it takes to build credibility, but here's what's cringe about it. Naturally I'm a stalker. So I look up this guy, there's not much information about him online, but I like look quite a bit. And then I also see his email address has a harvard.edu email address. But then I realize over time that like the email address he has, you can get if you went to the extension school, which doesn't even require application. So he's Harvard educated, but he just like went to the extension school, which is like anybody can go take classes. Anyway, kind of funny that he used Harvard so desperately in his pitch. And then he didn't like, which is cringe by itself, even if he did go there, but then he didn't actually go there. And the same thing happened recently. Um, I got a pitch from somebody I met in person a couple weeks ago. I got a cold email from them. Or it wasn't a cold email. I'd met them in person, but then he emailed me and he wrote like, I am a Stanford alum. And I was like, I don't know why you felt the need to write that as a separate paragraph in your email. And then I looked it up. He also went, did like a two week executive course. Like, why do people think, I don't know. It's just so cringe. I mean, it's just, so I didn't even take the meeting actually. Oh, because of it. Yeah. Like writing your Stanford alum is probably okay. If you indeed went there for undergrad or grad school, but if you took a two week course there, it's bullshit. Yeah. Because I know this because I teach, I help teach a two-week course there, so it's obviously bullshit. <laughs> yeah, but also you're helping teach these people, and then when they're using that as credibility, you're like, whatever. <laughs> Just think about whatever. that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll cut some of that. But okay, we're going to move into what I call the quick fire round. So Ooh. don't think too much. Just answer the top of your head. What would you say your top three values are? Um, kindness. Uh, adventure and sort of down to earthness okay what fictional character do you remind yourself of uh charlie brown (laughs) what tea do you drink uh decaf i don't drink any tea i don't drink any caffeinated beverages um so i like something with licorice in it if that's available oh like black Um, licorice no, not, no, 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 sorry. Like, there's one called Throat Coat okay. that I love. And there's another one from Aveda. Aveda has a tea that I really like. What is your music jam at the moment? Um, there's a song by Sia um, called Cheap Thrills that I'm really into. Okay. And then lastly, before you leave us, what would you say your Sheilisms are? So what parting advice and practical advice would you give out to anyone looking to make a meaningful impact through entrepreneurship? I think it's like, just think about people and 
the the best companies, the most effective companies are are doing what's best for the customer. And that's really what I look for is um, sustainable advantage comes from like truly giving a shit. And and I so that's what I look for in companies. So be kind, care about your people, both internally and then your customers. And that's that's really important to me and companies that I would like to invest in. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Shil. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks for listening. As always, please do get in touch at Samira Storks on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter or leave some feedback in the form of a review on iTunes. I am listening to them, uh, the 30 minutes tops rule, plus or minus 10%. And I also have a request to all of you. Please start sharing these stories with friends and peers if you're enjoying them. Go on, do it right now. Send them a WhatsApp, email or message. Uh, We've still got a lot of stories from far and wide this season from YouTubers, womenpreneurs and movers and shakers on a mission. So do join me in a fortnight then. Bye.